What if everything came with a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible? Like at the cantina. I'll take a half-calf spotchka. Lightweight. Here's your free audiobook download for Master and Apprentice from Audible. Or getting your pod racer serviced. My pod racer needs upgrades to the coupling and stabilizer. And here's your free audiobook download for Resistance Reborn from Audible. Life in the galaxy doesn't work that way, but there is one place you can go where you can get a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible. And that's utini.com slash audible. Click the Audible logo and start your 30-day free trial, which includes a free audiobook download. So visit utini.com slash audible and get your free Star Wars audiobook download today. Hi, this is Timothy Zahn, author of Star Wars Thrawn. You're listening to Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. A Utini production. Episode 54, Lost Stars Roundtable, Part 1. On this episode, the doctor has become the patient. Plus, Utini versus U2. And the Utini crew talks about Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. And now, here are your hosts. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Hankel, and Wes Jenkins. We were already live. We're just recording now. Excellent. That's what I meant to say. That's what I meant to say. Oh my gosh, blowing up everyone. Uh, Ian, my, my best friend from college, uh, confirmed in our chat we were not a dry school. So in case anyone didn't take my word for it, Michigan State University, not a dry school. See, I went to college in the mountains of North Georgia, like right in North Carolina. That sounded like you were making up a lie there. You're like, I went to college in the... Mountains yeah, of yeah. Georgia. You know, that, that one school, you know, right in Georgia. Yeah. And uh, it was a dry county, and all the surrounding counties were dry, so we would have to drive to North Carolina to get our alcohol, and then we would just go drink in the woods, like deep in the woods. It's great. And with that, welcome to episode 54 of the <laughs> Living Force Podcast, the episode where we are going to go drink in the woods and talk about lost stars. I am one of your hosts, uh, Eric Eilerson, and joining me this week on an early Friday recording. That's right, we are recording a full week before our normal release because of scheduling. But joining me today are the doctors. We have Dr. Corey Helton, the woods drinker himself. Hello? Hello. The woods drinker. The woods drinker. I like that. That, could be, that could be a t-shirt. I like it. We also have Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, dude. Hey, man. I don't have as cool of a nickname, but... It's okay. Could be like the closet drinker. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And we also have Wes Jenkins. What's up? Hello. Welcome, everyone. This is going to be our Lost Stars Roundtable episode. This is a Patreon reward uh, that we've been teasing for a long time. We are all so freaking excited to talk about one of the most lauded books in all of Star Wars, I'd say. Uh, we're going to be attacking this like we do all of our roundtable episodes of it in a bit. But before that goes, let's get a couple updates. Corey, what'd you do this week? Oh, my God. Corey fell in his driveway like a little old lady and broke his foot. <laughs> oh, no! Yes, I shit you not. I was playing with the new dog, Kylo. If you missed it last week, I got my new puppy. He's an Aussie doodle. We named him Kylo. So now I have Kylo and Ray. It's fantastic. So cute. Um, so cute. 
I was playing in my driveway with Kylo and uh, my left ankle slipped off the concrete and I inverted the crap out of it. I couldn't walk for like two hours and I was like, oh my God, I think it's broken. Uh, the next morning I still couldn't walk on it when got x-rays. It looks like it's cracked at least. Uh, really bad sprain. Um, you know, I'm gonna, probably going to be in a boot for the next like two weeks or something. So that's lame, but I'm kind of walking okay now. I got it in like a like a tight brace, just like wrapped up real good right now, and I can I can handle weight on it now, which is which is good. I was like on crutches for like three days there, and that was that was crappy. I was gonna say like I I, I feel like it'd be odd having a doctor come in like on crutches and be like, hey. Let me see how you are. No, I'm fine. I broke my own foot, yes. but let me fix you. I'd be kind of like, uh, like I don't, I, I'm sure I trust you, but um, ugh. yeah. I might have to come up with a better story than I was playing in my driveway and I fell. Like something like, like this patient wouldn't listen to me and take his damn medicine, so I kicked the shit out of him. Maybe yeah, I'll but he was made out of that. stone, so like I broke my That's foot. Right. That's right. No, I bought one of those. Uh, I bought one of those stupid. Um, bought one of those stupid like knee rolling walker things that you put like one one knee on you can like like kick around on i'm like really excited to drive that around the hospital for the next couple of weeks it's gonna Dude, be awesome I, I just want you to like get your phone out and and slide by your patient's rooms and play like the the tie fighter sound effect as you go by <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic that's fantastic when i was a when i was an ra in college we used to do all the all the uh the rounds around the dorm at night playing can- the, the cantina song like that was exclusively it that was like my thing it was really dumb i don't we'll think you're an ra that makes so much sense really? yeah, so much sense. Totally an RA. i love it well we're glad you're you're feeling better we're glad uh that you can still play with kylo um and hopefully now that you've sacrificed your body for him he will pee and poop a little less in your bed yeah well we're going to create stuff now so you know <laughs> well, good luck no more of that uh well other than that folks i want to give you guys a little insight into where we're going in the next couple weeks on this show as i said this week uh we have our lost stars roundtable part one next week we're gonna be doing our lost stars roundtable part two but also we have may the fourth coming up absolutely the best day of the year for star wars fans especially in a year where there's no movie coming out uh, there's going to be a lot of May the 4th things going on online. The Clone Wars finale is coming out that day. There's going to be sales and all the merch you could want. Um, and we want to hear from you guys what you want Eugene to do, what you want the Living Force podcast to do. Do you guys want to have a big community watch party? I know people have been talking about watching various movies together. Do you want to just like all get together and watch something else? Do you want to have a chat-a-thon? Whatever you feel like. Throw it up into our Discord channels. Um, I mean, every channel gets kind of have a life of its own at this point. I mean, the notifications every day are just infinite, which is great. But let us know, and we'd love to do something for May the 4th. Quick disclaimer before we go any further in this show. If you were hanging out last week and you are watching the live show, you may remember that uh, YouTube shut us down three times. Because there are stuff going on with their algorithm, whatever happens... If the YouTube feed dies this week, we are live on Facebook, on our on Facebook.com slash Utini. We are also live on Twitch this week at twitch.tv slash Utini underscore US. That's twitch.tv slash Utini underscore US. So we have a bunch of backups. We're not going to be um, canceling the feed because we are legion. We will survive. A couple other updates before we go up into Lost Stars. Our Patreon is exploding with content. As always, every week we are still talking about the Clone Wars. Um, 
it's real good right now, guys. Uh, I, I was like, I wanted to kind of go a little in depth and think about these these episodes. But if you watched last week's episode of the Clone Wars along with this morning's episode of the Clone Wars, you will know that um, Bounty Hunt is is a real exciting place to be right now. So if you are a patron at the Guardian of the Wills level or above, you are getting those episodes. You're hearing us talk about the glory that is the Siege of Mandalore. Another little tease. And in the next two weeks, I believe, a Legends Look Back will be covering Path of Destruction, the first Darth Bane book. So if you just finished your Lost Stars read and you want a next book, I'd highly recommend rereading or reading Bane for the first time. And finally, The Ghost Crew, the Star Wars Rebels show that Charlie and I are doing is coming out every Wednesday for our Inquisitorious uh, patrons and above. We are three episodes deep now, I believe. And Rebels is awesome. Charlie is smarter than me. So it's a great show overall. And if you want access to those shows or this very show and you don't have it every week, don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast and tune in every week to hear us at Utini talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, a Note in the Woods, wherever people are going to find podcast reviews. We <laughs> would love it. All right, guys, two pieces of news I want to talk to you about because you're my friends and I miss talking about books with you. Y'all may have heard that there were two big book announcements made this week um, on this week in Star Wars. The first is that the Star Wars show is doing a Star Wars show book club. Did you guys hear about this? Yes. It yeah. seems really interesting. Yeah. So the Star Wars show is deciding to take Utini's lead and take our advice and uh, put books at the forefront of the Star Wars quarantine experience. They are going to be doing essentially a virtual book club with authors, with all kinds of stuff. It seems really awesome. Their first book club is going to be May 1st, and they're doing Alphabet Squadron, one of our favorites from last year. Uh, so if you haven't reread Alphabet Squadron in a while, go ahead, read through that book, and then tune in to the Star Wars YouTube channel on May 1st. Uh, that's where they're going to be having a bunch of cool talks with Alexander Freed, stuff about the book, full spoilers, more information about that on StarWars.com. And another one, guys, we got a, an announcement this week that uh, I didn't expect at all. Oh, my God. Like, one of, maybe the biggest shocker of the year, even with all the crazy stuff they've announced. This was huge. Holy shit. Yeah, so you guys may remember last year we got Dooku Jedi Lost, a fully cast audio drama, which a bunch of us loved by Kevin Scott. Uh, it really fleshed out that character a lot. It was awesome to listen to because it kind of took an audiobook format and exploded it. Uh, turns out we're getting a new one in July that's just called, as of now, Dr. Afra, an audiobook original. It's going to be taking her origin from the Darth Vader comic series in 2015, adapting and expanding it into an audiobook format uh, written by Sarah Kuhn and recorded with a full freaking cast, guys. Man, how did they keep this under wraps? Holy smokes. If it to be coming out in July, like it had to been, they've been working on this for months. Oh, easily. Easily. And I mean, and this is, and what do you guys think about them taking the character of Afra and doing the next book? I mean, they started this experiment with Dooku, who is a pretty well known character, we'd all say, but this is Afra, who has only appeared in comics. She hasn't even been in books yet. Yeah. I think this is going to kind of skyrocket her to the top of a lot of people's consciousness and, and f like favorite character lists, honestly, because the people that I know that read Afra really enjoy the character. She's very much like a, Indiana Jones, uh, fun kind of character. Um, one of those kind of scoundrels, 
um, that we all know and love. And the people that don't know Afra are probably going to get introduced uh, to her with this book. And I think it's overall going to be really awesome if it's anything like Jedi Lost. Yeah. 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 I, I think it was honestly only a matter of time. Like, I don't think there has been a more successful, um, a successful sort of side character developed in the comics, uh, especially in canon comics, like, but maybe in all Star Wars comics. Dr. Aphra has been a huge fan favorite for a long time, um, and everybody really, really likes her. Um, she's a super cool character, like Indiana Jones. Like, she seems like she'd be in an RPG, like, uh, man, she's a great character. Morally gray. I yep. really enjoy how morally gray she is. Like, yeah. you don't know if she's yeah. really a bad guy or a good guy. Like she works for Vader, but also kind of looks out for her own skin. So yeah, it's pretty rad. I'm yeah. really excited for this. We yeah. have some people saying in the chat, they've never even heard of Afra. So wow. you awesome. should, uh, maybe start with this book or if you're interested in the meantime, before this comes out, check out the actual, Star Wars comic Dr. Afro or read the old Vader series when she actually makes her first appearance. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you guys know if, uh, have they said whether or not Kevin Scott has had much to do with this? I'm sure he's got some kind of role in this. Certainly. The only thing we've heard is, uh, is the writer. So Sarah Kuhn, she put out a, um, a little video that was in the star Wars.com article. They put a little, uh, unlisted YouTube video from her announcing it. Uh, so now whether Kevin like was consulted about it, because we all know he has a huge history in auto drama, audio yeah. drama, very possibly. I'm sure he was. You know? Yeah, I, I'm almost, I'm almost, be, I'd be shocked if he wasn't at least consulted, because, I mean, he is like, Kevin Scott honestly helped really pave the way for that, so mm-hmm. that's super, super exciting. Like, yeah. I'm so jacked about this. So again, like, that's up, July 21st. That is in three months? Almost to the day. Man, what a, what a shocker. Yeah. Really so very cool. Again, um, those full announcements are over on StarWars.com. Uh, and on every Thursday, you can watch This Week in Star Wars. And that's where they announced it. It's going to be super, super freaking cool. Now, at this point, we would normally go to book reviews. But if you are used to our roundtable format, uh, you know that we don't want to go into a bunch of those because we want to save as much time for the book discussion as possible. We have had a bunch of reviews coming in continuously. We love seeing them when they pop up on our Slack channel. We are banking them for future episodes, so please keep reviewing your books. You can go to utini.com, look up your book in the search bar, scroll down to the bottom of the page, leave a star review and a written review, and we are going to read those out on this show. <sighs> All right, guys. Before we get into Lost Stars by Claudia Gray, and I give the reins over to Charles to make this a much better podcast, uh, I want to do a thing that we don't usually get to do on these podcasts because we're usually doing new books, right? We're usually doing new releases for these roundtables. The only one we've done before uh, like this is Queen's Shadow. So, Charles, did you have, like, a hist- our history with Lost Stars in your in your outline? That's where we're going to start things ah, off. Yes, sir. See, I was like, well, what if Charles has thought of this really good idea? And of course you have because you're brilliant. So and last- leave it to us. Leave it to us to not discuss things at all beforehand because we like these things to be a surprise. All secrets, baby. All secrets. So with that, I'm going to leave off by saying, folks, we're going to jump into Lost Stars. If you haven't already, follow the show on Twitter at LivingForcePod. Jump into our Discord community at utini.com slash Discord. Email us at livingforcepod at utini.com. And yes, Corey, I am eating Skittles as we talk. I'm addicted to sugar. <laughs> real, real professional, Eric. Real professional. Charles, take it away. Get this show back on the road. All right. So no Skittles for me. Lost <laughs> Stars Roundtable. Let's get into it. We'll start these uh, off with a plot synopsis. So 
for everyone that has not read the book and needs this two-second blurb, Sienna Ree and Thane Kyrell, born on opposite sides of society on the backwater planet of Jalukin, share one unshakable thing in common, their dream to grow up and serve the Empire. After years of practice flying and hard work at the Imperial Academy, they find all of their deepest desires coming true. Along with their unbreakable friendship and budding romance, they become well-respected Imperial officers. Then came the destruction of Alderaan, and everything changed. When one defects to the Rebellion, uh, Sienna and Thane find themselves brokenhearted and on opposite sides of a galactic war, begging the question, is love stronger than even the might of the Empire? So, guys, let's start off by rating this book as we always do on a 1 to 10. Don't say why. We'll readdress these scores at the end of the second part of the roundtable and see how they change. So, Eric, yeah, hit me with your score. You know, Charles, uh, it's a 10. I almost went into a long-winded long explanation, but then I remembered, you told me not to dis- explain anything. That's right. 10 out of 10. Okay, so I think that was the first 10 of the Living Force yes. roundtable, is yes. it not? 100%. Yes, it Groundbreaking. Is. 100%. Okay. Yes, 100%. And I'm going to swing back around right on top of that and also slap a big fat 10 on this book. Woo! Um, yeah, and I won't give you a long explanation, but I will say that everything in Star Wars is, uh, at least in Star Wars books, we have to do things in relative to each other, right? And like, it is no secret that Lost Stars is one of the best books ever. So okay. is the book based on all objective factors an absolute 10 out of 10? Hmm, maybe not. Maybe not. But it is most certainly one of the absolute best books in Star Wars. It's a 10 in my book. All right. Well, two 10s. Um, Wes, what do you got? As I have not completely finished the book yet, um, I feel a little pressured as to not <laughs> give it a 10. I'm going to say so far from what I've read on the 350 pages, I would say I give it a 9.7 because um, I didn't know what I was really getting into when I first started reading it. So I'm going to give a long synopsis, but totally okay. fair. Totally right. fair. <clears throat> and... I am going to round things out. I can't bring myself to give it a 10 just yet. You guys might convince me. I'm going to give it a 9.5, which is incredibly high for me. That's so true, because you famously all, don't like books. I famously hate books and <laughs> lowball them on this In podcast. In Star Wars, last I heard, yeah. like, it's awful. <laughs> yeah, so, all right, well, I think just combined score, and I'm bad at math, but that is the highest score we've ever had at the beginning of a roundtable. And if anything, I feel like we kind of raise our scores after we've had a chance to talk through things. So yeah, that'll be interesting to hear. I'm really gonna, but, I'm uh, really gonna try. Uh, and and real quick, I, I wanted to hijack this for just a moment for our video people. Um, they may have remembered that we had a Lost Stars shirt design that got pulled down immediately uh, because we used logos and whatever. However, if you had clicked on the link in the first three minutes, you were able to purchase the shirt. And my friends. I did click on it in the first three minutes. So <laughs> nice. Look at that trademark infringement. Strong work. Look at that. Not our, not our, uh, our best look on in that regard, but our best look as far as shirt goes. <clears throat> Joxie, you nailed the design on this shirt. Thank you so much. And for those of you that want your Lost Stars Utini shirt, we are working on the final touches of an upcoming shirt design uh, for all y'all, and we'll keep you posted on that. Yeah. Yeah, we have a few uh, a few pretty rad shirts gonna hit the gonna hit the market pretty soon. Excited! All right, now Charles, thank you for for letting me uh, brag about uh, the design skills 
of one of our of glorious course. members. Uh, and now back to the, to the serious nature of Lost Stars. All right. So let's start this off by kind of looking back at some of the information for when this first came out, like you were kind of mentioning there, Eric. So, you know, it's kind of hard to read a book for the first time now without thinking about what what did this book do for the canon? What did it do for Star Wars and, and everything in general for the fandom when it first came out? And so this book is really interesting in that it was released back on September 4th of 2015. So that made it part of the Journey to the Force Awakens series. It was kind of part of that wave with Aftermath, the Shattered Empire comic, a few other projects. But this was a full three months before The Force Awakens was even released. So in many ways, this was our one of our first looks really into that sequel trilogy timeline. Um, and a lot of people seem to miss this book when it first got released because it was something of a, a young adult book. That's how it's classified, right? And instead, they kind of opted for Chuck Wendig's Aftermath. So first of all, what are your thoughts on people kind of missing this book when it first came out uh, because it was a young adult book? So I can I can totally talk about that because I was absolutely in that camp. So Lost Stars came out, this is before Utini. It's a good two, three years before Utini, right? This is well before we had even dreamt of doing this thing. Um, and I was like still trying to keep up with Star Wars books at the time. And Lost Stars, I remember seeing it came out. The cover is very nondescript. I mean, like, what the hell does this is? What even is this? Like, there's nothing of like, in fact, I didn't even realize it was a Star Destroyer on the cover until way later. The moment in the book where you realize that you're reading the scene on the cover is such a cool moment because like it it doesn't give you any hints until you're in the scene. And you're like, oh, my God. okay, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. So. Like when this book came out, I totally missed that it. it was out, and I was in the aftermath. And also, you know, we don't we don't like to to, to crap on aftermath because we, quite frankly, really like the book. But the book series in its entirety is a little controversial. A lot of people don't like the writing style. People are not a big fan of Chuck Wendig for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, all that being said, it's still Star Wars, and I definitely enjoyed the series still. Um, but it came out about the same time, right? So it was kind of shadowed in 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 all the controversy that came out. And like, man, what a hidden gem like and it was also it's got this weird journey to the force awakens thing on it which has nothing to do really with the force awakens it's got jakku in it i guess um yeah that's de- that's but, definitely like yeah. the one thing that they're like oh jakku right so it's 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 like the movie yeah <laughs> yeah the very, very end yeah yeah i yeah, i absolutely I similarly missed it when it came out the first time because at this point in my life, I wasn't reading Star Wars books. Like, I I had read as a kid, and then I took a long, long break until probably right around, it would have been 2017, um, that a buddy actually recommended Lost Stars to me, the audiobook first, and I started that. I wasn't in love with the narrator. Um, It was was all right, but I just, it didn't do as much for me, so I put it to the side, and then one day I finally, like, found a copy of it somewhere for super cheap. And then I blitzed through it, and I was like, oh, oh, right. Yeah. But I do think that the media push for young adult novels honestly changed going forward because of the late success of this book. Because like now, yeah, five totally. years later, there's so much regard for it that now the way that Disney and Lucasfilm can market their young adult novels changes because they don't have to yeah. apologize for it being younger. They don't have to pretend it's not great quality because Lost Stars paved the way. Eric, tell me where does where does this book fall in the timeline for you in sort of your journey into canon? Because I remember when, when you first jumped on the team, mm-hmm. you were 
pretty into it at that point. That was 2017. So how long had you like been reading Star Wars books like for good? Uh this was this was the beginning for me, man. This was like this was the start of my canon journey was Lost Stars. Um it was the first book you read? Yep, this was it. Wow, I did not know yeah, that. That's crazy. It was it was the first one I ever jumped into. Um, like I, I, it's funny. I look at my bookshelf now, and like you know, every canon novel and all the the books I've, I've assembled <clears> since then, and it it's just like hidden in the midst of all of them. But yeah, it's the first one I ever read, and had it, and I think that's actually the more we talk to people, pretty common for people nowadays. And if it wasn't the quality that it is, I wonder how many Star Wars fans would never get into the books in the first place. Totally, totally. What about you, Charles? How did you sort of come into Lost Stars at all? Yeah, so. I mean, I, I've told you all before, I was a longtime Star Wars reader, but I kind of fell off in the college years. And so I, I really wasn't a part of that first wave of new canon after mm-hmm. Disney, you know, took over. And so I did not read this book when it first came out either. The way I got into it was through Utini. So getting involved at Utini and having everyone constantly say what a good book it was and i was like you know what fine i'm gonna read it and i did <laughs> going into it thinking like there's no way these guys are blowing smoke like there's no way it's that good it's actually that good and so the first time i read it was then i don't know roughly roughly i guess two years ago if that's how long we've yeah, been doing okay. this I, I i remember that now charles there was like a wave of uh folks that all joined about the same time and yeah. like me and eric were both like kind of pushing real hard how good we were we were really just starting to figure out like what the universally recognized Star Wars books were. Like, like we had all like, like we had known a lot about Star Wars books. Like I've read almost all of them, but we had never like connected with the community to tell us what everybody else also loves. Right. So me and Eric were just figuring out that everybody loves all Star Wars as much as we did. And we pushed everybody at the same time to read it on the team. I think you, if I remember correctly, like Carl, maybe, Maybe Meg also. There were a couple of folks that all read it very close to each other, and they were like, holy crap, this book's incredible. Yeah. It was nuts. Maybe Heather. Heather's in our chat. You can tell us. I think you guys read it all close together. Yeah, the amount yeah. of copy. Like, I also ha- easily have the most copies of Lost Stars of any book that I own, period, because I loan it out so much. And like anytime yeah, I go to a garage same. sale or a used bookstore or anything like that, I always look for copies of Lost Stars because I'm like, I don't care if it has a dust jacket. I don't care if it's a paperback. Right. Like, I'm, Give It doesn't away. matter. I'm gonna give it out. Yeah, I have a handful of uh, a handful of copies, like probably ten or so copies left over from the Utini days, and um, I bring people over and I show them my office, right? And they're like, people are always like, "Whoa, you have so much Star Wars stuff!" Because like, I, you know, I, I don't really advertise everybody I meet that I do this whole Utini thing, and um, you know, they're like, "Always, oh, I've really always wanted to read the books," and I pull one off the shelf and I'll hand it to them, like, "Why don't you take this one, son? This, this, <laughs> this will get you started real good." Ah, like a drug dealer. Yes, <laughs> first exactly, one's free, exactly. <laughs> wow so then none of us actually was was able to read this before going in to see the force awakens in is that right yeah Mm, i don't remember that it came out in september September. yeah so it would have been just just no i think i you know actually i think i did read it before the force awakens came out because i i remember the second time i read it I remember recognizing Jakku and I was like, whoa, this has got Jakku in it. Now I see why it's a Force Awakens. So I think I must have mm-hmm. read it like right around, if I remember correctly, I might have finished it like a week before the movie came out, but I totally missed like it was, it wasn't on my shelf for months after it was released. September, what was it? December? It came out December 2, Force Awakens. It was December mm-hmm. 2, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 
Oh, man, I, I'm looking at the chat here. Uh, Cheryl says, didn't even hit her radar until it was a Patreon goal. So kudos to you, Tini. This is the reason. Nice. I'm so hey, glad. That's, why we're that's here. the point. This is, it is. It this is. is the way. This is the way. This is the way. So, well, fantastic, y'all. So how how does the fact that you've read this book now multiple times, how, if at all, has it shaped your viewing of the films, being the original trilogy and... Mm. I guess specifically The Force Awakens, that's sort of the time period that this book really spans. Has it altered it in any way? The sequel are you asking about the sequel trilogy specifically? I'm asking about any any movie that this book so touches. The the pitch that I always give for Lost Stars has everything that a really good Star Wars book needs, right? It has um really great, memorable characters, a little bit of romance, um, strong but subtle connections to the films. Uh, like the little behind the scenes stuff that if you know the films at least a little bit, like like Star Wars fans generally, by the time they come to the books, if you've only seen all the movies a lot of times, they know they like Star Wars a lot. Um, you know, they recognize the subtle scenes that happen in Lost Stars. So it has just like this perfect concoction of all the stuff that is necessary to make a really good Star Wars book. And that's what makes it so freaking good is like, you know, um, Sienna re disables the hyperdrive in Empire Strikes Back, and like, and if you know the film, it's a tiny little callback, but you will recognize that tiny little scene. That's what makes it so good. Um, so it's it's certainly enhanced it for me because you know when I'm watching it with somebody, I can turn to them and be like, yeah, so this scene happens in the books where they disable the hyperdrive, and um, it just makes it interesting and it expands on the films. The whole point of the expanded universe to start with, yeah. I, I completely agree, and for, and for me, what it what it does for me most is honestly in episode four, uh, hilariously enough, like the uh, the trench run and the Death Star explosion is really where it hits me because this book, for the first time, really kind of showed me the redeemable people in the Empire. Like I've never been a huge fan of like the books that are Empire focused. I mean, I I get there there are some really good ones. It's cool stuff, but. I'm way more into the rebellion. I'm way more into like running from the empire and stuff like that. But the fact that they chose to have Jude, a main lovable character die on the death star and like stayed like that happens. Right. And they show you Sienna's mourning for her friends. And even Thane, when he joins the rebellion is still like, we still killed a million of my friends. Like the fact that that is still there when I watched episode four now really helps me not not you know not equalize the sides but to really you know understand the depth of what that means you know that Alderaan is a tragedy but also all the lives lost in the Death Star also were an ideal and to see characters like Mon Mothma in this book again very small part awesome scenes when she's trying to like help drunk ass Thane get around the base like realize yeah. like you know what they don't want to be doing that they don't want to be killing people they don't want to do this so now when I watch the movies, that, that added element of war really hits me harder. Yeah. Yeah, also kind of from the Imperial perspective, too. You have characters like Nash Windrider who... Oh, you know, were what a character. Alderaan, I know. Man, what a character. You know, an Alderaan native that watched his planet be destroyed and didn't have to go to the, through the, the mental gymnastics that it takes to justify mm. the empire that he works for mm. destroying his own planet and everyone he loves. Like... It was awesome. Like you really got both sides of the story. The cover is such a beautiful depiction of what the film is about or what the book is about. Yeah. Like it, it, because it, it is a perfect, a perfect split right down the middle of like empire and rebellion and, and the, the thought process behind kind of both sides. It's incredible. 
And one thing I also like to to round out that question, Charles, uh, I I Mm -hmm. love the pacing of it. Um, because I love that I'm like, oh, it's the New Hope section. Oh, it's the Empire section. Oh, it's the Return of the Jedi yeah. section. Like, it doesn't skip anything. Like, they, they each get their time, but you're not. You're also not stuck in one movie for too long. So it reminds me, like, I don't want to just watch Empire after reading this. I want to watch the whole original trilogy after 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 this. Yeah. So I think it really helps you. And see, Force Awakens. Yes, it helps you see the grander scale of Star Wars rather than an individual small expanse of time. Absolutely. And I mean, you you pick up this book and it it's pretty thick, right? And and you look at it and you think like, man, there's, there's a lot in here. And then you realize how much time that's actually covering. And it's incredible that it's not five times as long right. as this because we're covering an, a whole trilogy plus a whole nother film, really, or at least the first part of it. So I think y'all really answered my question about what makes this book such a clear cut favorite for so many people at Utini and so many people that are a part of uh, you know, the audience in the chat right now and really the whole fandom. So I want to make an argument that's kind of similar to what you were saying, Corey, that there are really three specific things that make this book so successful. Not that I'm saying I have the recipe for the secret sauce here, but <laughs> maybe I do. So number one is that it tells a classic coming-of-age love story, right? That's a that's a timeless-type mm-hmm. story. Number two, it does so within the framework of familiar events from the original and sequel trilogy. So it has those touchstones for you. And then number three, it makes you sympathize with the Imperials. So you guys hit all of those points already without me even pointing that out. So I think we're on the same page, but I kind of want to discuss those three points one at a time because I think there's a lot to unpack there. I couldn't agree Uh, more. And we are going to look at those points individually right after this break. We'll see you in a couple minutes, everybody. Hey, guys. It's Charles here. Just in case you weren't sick of hearing me already, it's no secret that all of us at the Living Force and Utini are huge supporters of the Make Solo 2 Happen movement. But what you might not know is that there's already a whole Han Solo trilogy. In Legends, that is. That's right. Disney may have made Solo a Star Wars story, but A.C. Crispin beat them to our favorite Smuggler's origin story by about 20 years. Comprised of the Paradise Snare, the Hut Gambit, and Rebel Dawn, you can follow Han from his days as an orphan on Corellia all the way up to mere moments before accepting a meeting with an old man and a farm boy that would change the course of his life forever. This series is absolutely one of my favorites, and I consider it underappreciated in the grand scheme of things. Though, I may be biased. As listeners may know, the Paradise Snare was the first Star Wars book I ever picked up, and I never looked back. That's thanks in no small part to the incredible writing in this series. Of course, the creators of Solo A Star Wars Story had a high opinion of it too. Huge story elements are borrowed for the movie, and Crispin gets an actual shout-out in the novelization. So, while you're waiting for Solo 2 to happen on screen, go make it happen in the books. If you want to pick this series up, head on over to utini.com and use the Amazon affiliate link. We'd really appreciate it, and you won't be sorry. Now back to the guys in the main show so they can talk about how incredible this clip was. And we are back. Oh, wow, what a clip. What an amazing clip. I feel energized. I feel ready to go. It's not just because of the 12-ounce Red Bull that I have. It's because of that there clip. There it is. There it is. I, I thought this bit wasn't dead. Uh, the bit, we didn't the talk bit about speaks, terrariums. Corey. all right charles all right what do we got next all right so we're talking about the three things that i'm arguing make this film 
so successful. And y'all are arguing the same thing. But number one being that it is a love story. So let's talk about the two parts of that love story. Number one, Sienna Ree, right? She's a first mm-hmm. waiver, a.k.a. one of the Valley Kindred from Jalukin. Jellocan is what I'm told I'm supposed to be saying in the yeah. in I say the I chat, say Jellocan. That's, that's that's how my head says it. The audio the audio book says Jellocan. Jellocan. I can't change I I cannot change how I say things no, this far can. into the game. I can't do it. <laughs> so, anyways, speaking of Sienna Re uh, from Jellocan. <laughs> just kidding, guys. Uh, Never say that again. she's part of the old school culture right founded heavily on hard work values really nothing more than loyalty and and ideals um loyalty to ideals rather and to each other Uh, and then we have thank hyrell so he's the second waiver he is one of the rich city dwellers and his people kind of tend to look down on the valley kindred as poor and dated and in their outlook on life and Thane doesn't entirely fit that mold, but uh, we do see kind of flashes of that attitude come through sometimes. So how does the relationship between these two people stack up in your eyes compared to the other major romances we've had in Star Wars? Because it's very different, Mm -hmm. yet I feel like in the most important ways, very similar. Hmm. That's a good question. There's definitely a lot more sex. (laughs) Yeah, there is. In this book. The sexy book. Come right out the gate with it. So I feel like we should address this. You know, it's a good time to address it early on is because that's actually the one complaint that I've actually heard from a lot of people about this book is it's got so much sex in it. So here's the thing, folks. This book is a young adult book for teenagers. Okay. <laughs> teenagers are all thinking about sex. All right. So if you ever read any young adult book, you know, outside of Star Wars, it's all got a crap ton of sex in it. All right. So. You know, it's in this book. It's okay. It's what it is. It is what it is. It's not. It's not crude or inappropriate. I don't think at all. Um, you know, I think it's handled really well. But there's oh, it's handled well, so Corey. <laughs> if you oh, read the scenes, <laughs> so you're Man. saying it's steamier. Yeah, this is a steamier <laughs> romance than we've ever seen. More steamy yes. than shirtless Anakin waking up from his nightmares. More steamy Ooh. than uh, than uh, Kylo Ren working out in his Force vision with Ray. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that baton and say I think the fact that like they do have sex in this book because what is it? Lawrence Kasdan famously said in, um, in Star Wars, a handshake is like a kiss, right? Like that the the physical intimacy in Star Wars isn't like your other kind of media. So I think the fact that they go that far it is to an extent like a, a representation of how. I don't know how intense their relationship is, how much they love each other. And I'm honestly going to say that aside from the sex itself, their relationship, I I don't know how it doesn't set the bar for other ones. I mean, I love Han and Leia. I love Han and Kira. I love Anakin Padme. But like, Thane and Sienna, uh, maybe it's because they have the whole life thing, but it is one of the most interesting romances I've ever read. Yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly not just nothing but steaminess, right? Yeah. I mean, there is a very strong emotional, intimate connection between these two characters that, you know, Claudia Gray, quite frankly, completely nails. Yes. Like, like she she really, really captures the emotional side of their relationship. Like, better, on, honestly, I don't know that I, I that there is a better romance in all of Star Wars. Like, not only mm-hmm. is Lost Stars 
probably the well one of the three best Star Wars books of all time. Like the romance between them is is bar none to any character. Yeah. Like, Wait. So so you're saying that you put Thane and Sienna's relationship above like Han and Leia, Anakin and Padme, those levels of of romance from the films. Anakin Padme is, is would be a very strong like contender, I think. Yeah. Because they okay. have th- their their emotional relationship is is really brought out in the Clone Wars TV show. But Han and Leia, which is often called kind of the textbook Star Wars romance, is pretty subtle, all things considered, right? We don't have a lot of canon material in particular. There's a lot of Legends material all about mm-hmm. their relationship, but not a lot of canon material. Well, and I think also that yeah. Fane and Sienna avoid the trap of, um, like, using uh, a couple fighting to show how much they love each other, which is, like, a fun thing a lot. Like, I love, like... Han and Leia get under each other's skin, which is a lot of fun, right? I love that as part of their relationship, sure. Um, Anakin and Padme disagree a lot, but also their whole relationship is is mired in politics and the the Jedi and secrecy. Yeah, that's right. Whereas, that's right. Like Thane and big Sienna, picture stuff. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Thane and Sienna, they just love each other more than anything in the universe, and like they they go away and they come back and they fight a little bit, but they come back and they they can't help the way they feel about each other too. And I think yeah. what you were saying, Corey, about Claudia Gray is so apt because she writes that feeling better than anyone else I've seen before. Like, God, I That's want to, to hate them. I want to dislike them. God damn it. I love them so much. And I, like, yes, you know, and I think that's a really, it's, it's really empathetic toward the characters and really shows kind of the strength of their bond. Mm-hmm. Well, so what? What is it about their connection? What is it about Thane and Sienna's relationship that makes it so unbreakable? Ooh. Well, I think un- unlike unlike Anakin, who is unable to turn his back on what he loves for his ideals, we kind of see the opposite of that in Lost Stars. Maybe not quite the opposite. I mean, because Thane and Sienna both. They don't really turn their back on their ideals. They are just very dedicated to what they believe in. And they don't really give up each other for their ideals, but they they really walk this fine line between betraying like what they're loyal to and each other, right? And they they openly talk about the conflict of this throughout. Whereas Anakin was more like he just made his choice. It was Padme, you know, it was his ride or die, right? I mean it was it. Yeah. Like, Padme is it. Whereas Thane and Sienna were both like, it tore them apart. Like how much they had to like trade their loyalty to everybody. It really tore them apart. And we don't really see that as much with Anakin. No, and I think that Thane and Sienna, you're right, Corey, they both have lives. Like they have things to do. They're, like they aren't each other's only reason for being. Like they're the most important, but they have a sense of mm-hmm. duty, which I think, to your point earlier, Charles, Claudia Gray's decision to to root Sienna's personality so much in loyalty and duty is such a great idea because she constantly bumps up against that with the atrocities the Empire performs, with her love for Thane. Like, it, it adds so much interesting story content because, you know, she has a life and a sense of honor and a sense of family and a sense of ancestry that is up against her political advancement or, or her career advancement, her love for, like, the boy she's loved since she was nine years old. Like, everything is so intense, and I think the fact that they are well-rounded people makes their romance interesting because you're right, Corey. We can't just have Thane, like, I'm going to walk away from the rebellion and love you, and who cares? Whereas, yeah. like, Anakin is 
is all about doing that for Padme. Thane's like, I love you so much. Can you not see you're working for Nazis? Like, what in the world is going... Like, there's a whole bigger conversation happening, which I think makes it stronger. Yeah, it's like the whole you're going down a path I can't follow conversation that doesn't end in a force choke. Exactly. (laughs) You know, how that would have gone. But I think what you guys are saying makes a lot of sense. It's really interesting, I think, anytime we examine a romance in Star Wars, it's looking at this incredibly personal bond between two people in this galaxy of stories that we're so familiar with and and getting so intimate in the midst of a of really a, a the story or the saga of Star Wars that's so broad and and spans so much time and so many events it's really interesting mm-hmm. to get to see that and to see their inner conflict kind of match the outer conflict that's going on with the with the whole galactic war uh, it's, yeah. it's really incredible. But when we get back to the beginning of this Thane and Sienna romance, really, you know, it, I don't want to say their romance started when they were kids, but the foundation for their relationship yeah. did. Yeah, the relationship and started really, for sure. Yeah, and, and that bond was in a lot of ways related to flying and the the want to join the Empire so that they could pilot ships. How do you guys view the analogy of Sienna and Thane flying together and learning to fly in their old, uh, whatever the ship was called, the V something or other? Mm-hmm. How do you view that as an, an analogy with respect to their relationship? Well, flight uh, as a whole is based in freedom and escaping, right? And I mean, from the time they're kids, they're both trying to escape their station. Like, Sienna, as a first waiver, is kind of stuck in uh, in a bit of poverty and, like, a lack of advancement, whereas Thane is stuck within his family's, you know, horrific nature. Like, his father is abusive. His family is is really pretentious, and he wants to leave this planet. So the two of them, from the time they're young, want to fly. They make that literal. And when you find a person that you can, you know, team up with in that way, that you can form a relationship based on joint escapism— you're basically saying, from now on, my life, my purpose in life is also tied to this person because that's how it started. So throughout the book, they are also finding themselves like trapped in situation after situation after situation. Like Sienna, at the end, her inner monologue um, on having to stay in the Empire is so well written. And it's so, it does make you feel sad for her because, yeah, she's staying in and she's advancing, but she's so trapped yet again. And the irony is, you know, when she's most trapped, she's not flying. Like, they take away her TIE fighter. She's standing on a bridge, and she's trapped again, whereas Thane is flying the entire time, and he's actually the one that's most free, even though to her, he's stuck within a rebellion. So I think it's just a constant seesaw of being trapped, escaping, and being trapped and escaping. Yeah, I I think you put that beautifully. And the fact that I think they relied on each other to fly, you know, whenever they were children, and they were using that old ship, uh, it it speaks towards them learning that they needed to rely on each other for that escapism, uh, you know, or from the escape from the hard times that you're kind of mentioning there, Eric. So I think you put that beautifully. Um, so so fantastic. Let's um let's talk about whether something else might have been involved. On page three ninety five of this book, we see the the comment: maybe the force is guiding this, bringing us together, even though we ought to be apart. 
So guys, I know I've asked you this before and I've kind of gotten your general thoughts on it, but is the force involved in this pairing and pairings like this in general? It's an excellent question. You know, this entire understanding of the force is kind of my favorite. Like this sort of loose, maybe it controls everything, maybe it doesn't. Maybe there's this sort of higher power that is in control of everything. Like, I, I like the sort of layman understanding of the force much better than I like the Jedi Sith version. Because when you start talking about the Jedi Sith, you really get so detailed that you're talking about how can it what is the force right is it midi-chlorians like what is it right so like it becomes this complex thing that's difficult to describe whereas this loose thing that's you know it connects all of us you know the rock the tree the ship it's something that we experience between all of us that sort of leads guides and sort of directs everything to answer your question is that what did this i don't know i mean these characters certainly had a very large role in the large story of the galaxy, you know, as much as the Skywalkers in a lot of ways. Um, I, I don't know. Did the Force do it? It's really hard to say. Can you actually answer that question? I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, I think that's the beauty of it right there, is the best questions, I think, for the universe, for the Force, like you're saying, Corey, are the ones that you can answer yes and no and have evidence for both. And I think that if they could answer it empirically, then these conversations wouldn't keep popping up in Star Wars books. But the fact that they do is so mm. interesting because it is the perfect mixing of spirituality with science, with um, fate, with personal decision, with destiny. Like it's all these things mixed up into each other. And I think, you know, it gives them an opportunity to blame the force if stuff doesn't go their way, but it also gives them a chance to breathe and let go of it because if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So I think that Thane and Sienna are a great example of that because you could say they are destined to be together because they do keep, you know, mm-hmm. finding each other randomly. Like of all the planets and all the gin joints and all the world, like it's definitely that kind of thing. But at the same time, they're also two people that are very skilled at what they do and they're in a war. So logically, they'd probably be in the same engagements. So I think it works both ways. Yeah, I mean, all I have to add to that is that's not how the Force works. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let's we think maybe, possibly. <laughs> let's talk about the next major big point. So we've kind of covered what's great about the love story. I want to talk about why it's so important that this book touches on familiar original trilogy events. So, like y'all mentioned earlier, we pretty much hit all the major events in the OT. And so if we just run through kind of the some of the major ones, the capture of Princess Leia and the subsequent destruction of Alderaan, um, the Battle of Yavin, and then the first Death Star getting destroyed, the Battle of Hoth, the pursuit of the Millennium Falcon into the asteroid field, the ambush on Cloud City, the Battle of Endor, the destruction of the second Death Star. There's a lot of destruction that happens in this book. <laughs> Was there any moment in particular that really stuck out to you, or did you learn anything about any of those events that kind of change how you view them. Sort of in the in the vein of this, not a scene that's in the film, but when Thane um, dances with Princess Leia at the that Imperial Ball, which is pre rebellion oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome to me. I mean there's something about something about Princess Leia and how everybody else looks at her is very fascinating to me. I don't know what it is. 
kind of how she's depicted in Rebels a little bit. You know, remember how she first comes in and she's like this character and she's bossy and she bosses everybody around and like everybody just looks at her like she's royalty. She's had this really privileged life, but she's also like very, very confident and exudes like success and brilliance and something about the way everybody else views her as a character is 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 really interesting to me. So I mean when when Thane dances with her at the ball and like like he realizes that she doesn't actually care about him really. Like she's obviously thinking of other things. Like the things that she's thinking about are obviously much more important. That that sort of tone is throughout this book in regards to the real players, right? Luke, Vader, Leia, Han Solo, like like everybody looks at these characters kind of like they're, you know, as Luke puts it in in the Last Jedi, like as their legends, right? But everybody has this very cursory side hand account. Like we we understand Luke is like the hero of rebellion, but everybody else only kind of looks at it like that, which is pretty awesome to me. So really like this scene a lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go in a, in a slightly different direction in a, a scene that is now made funnier to me by this book. Which is, um, I just found out, page 451, it's right before the Endor attack. And Thane says, and who is this General Calrissian? Thane decided not to ask that question out loud. If the Rebel Alliance was happy turning over its two most critical missions of all time to a bunch of brand new generals, okay, fine. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's hilarious where they're like, oh, it's, it's uh, General Solo. You know Solo? He's like, no, I don't. It's like, oh, right. No, he was frozen in carbonite. Who the that's right. <laughs> We're like, oh my god, all right. these military people have no idea who Lando Calrissian and Solo and Skywalker are. And then at Endor, they're like, here's the leaders. And it's like, what the right. hell is going on? So I thought that was a really fun little uh, little it's the greatest there. lesson. It's the greatest lesson, and it's not what you know, it's who you know, even in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Oh, my god. It was, yeah, that was... And then on a, on a similar note as well, uh, all the hot stuff, I, I really love them. Like, drinking the jet yeah. juice um, before everyone getting drunk, yeah, cool. being like, it's so cold, it sucks, I hate it here. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of the, a lot of the comic bits I thought were really cool. Because I think in Star Wars books, a lot of times uh, lesser authors can take that comedy and then it, it takes away the stakes. Because they're like, see how mm-hmm. funny and stupid this is? And she didn't do that. She's like, there is levity here. And there's fun moments in this um, in this situation that is still very important and very dire, but we can still have fun. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot in that uh, in the Hoth scenes to kind of point out and make fun of and laugh at. And you just reminded me, guys, if y'all have not watched the Family Guy specials that <laughs> the Star Wars films in the good. original trilogy what cleveland is r2d2 and when they're rolling <laughs> through echo base he says oh yeah i'm sure that's real safe all these electrical wires just nailed directly to ice <laughs> uh, it just gets oh, me it was basically thane the entire time just like what the hell are we doing on this awful yeah. planet like yeah and then i love that let's spend- so go ahead I was going to say, they just have to spend all this time and resources on just getting all their freaking gear to work. Like, why did they go to Hot? What a terrible yeah. choice. And then, like they're saying in the chat here, uh, we got Cheryl, Timothy, Meg guys talking about um, uh, Thane's flying with a, uh, on Hoth against the walkers and how, Thane, or how Sienna recognizes him. I love that, but I also love the fact that they saw the tow cable thing work and be like, oh my god, what a great idea! Let's do that! Like, That's right. Because the That's fact good. that, you know, they go out and because he was an Imperial, he knows about the joints. So, cool, great. But now, oh my god, what an easier way to do it. So having, it's like they're watching the movie with us, but they're also in the movie at the same time. 
Yeah. Which is interesting. And I think that's what I think that's what Claudia Gray captures so well about these side scenes is that she comes to most of them almost from the perspective of the films. You know what I mean? Like yeah. with 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 Cyanna's like working with Darth Vader, like like she could very well be one of the you know, the officers on the bridge of the Star Destroyer that are obviously all very scared of Darth Vader, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. she could certainly be one of those people. And I mean, we look at these scenes through the eyes of the film and Claudia captures that so well. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to talk about one of these scenes that I think probably has the most impact on this book. I love what you guys brought up, but I want to talk about the destruction of Alderaan because we see the ramifications of that scene throughout the rest of this book. And it's kind of going to bleed us into our probably our last major point of how this book helps you sympathize with the Empire, oddly enough. But let's talk about that. So Sienna actually justifies the Empire's actions with their destruction of Alderaan as a way to prevent a war with the Rebellion from ever getting started. So do you think that the Imperials, any of them, truly viewed the destruction of Alderaan in that way? Or is that just a convenient excuse? Is that convincing yourself that what you just saw wasn't as horrible as your eyes are telling you it is? Where did that come from? Super interesting. So this is a this is a real-life discussion in relation to the atomic bomb usage in World War II. I mean, you guys hear me talk about I'm a, kind of a World War II buff a lot. So there's a lot of very interesting ethical and philosophical discussions surrounding the uses of the, of the uh, atomic bomb at Hiroshima and uh, Iwo Jima, and it's easy for us to look at it like the way the Imperials looked at it, because America were the Imperials in the situation, right? Yeah. We used the atomic bomb, and it worked. It prevented probably millions of lives, or at least that's what historians estimate. Um, so, I don't know. It totally makes sense to me that, that Saina goes down this route, um, you know, Maybe we would have a different perspective, you know, a hundred years in the future now if maybe this didn't work, if Japan did not surrender um, after the use of the atomic bomb in World War II, right? Like, maybe we would be having a completely different, like, this was a waste, like, we shouldn't have done it, like, we killed all these civilians and it was a waste and they didn't surrender, like, we would would look the way that the Empire looks in this. So, it's a very realistic, real-life discussion about, you know, does the the ends justify the means? It's, It's a very fascinating like commentary on war in general that occurs all throughout star Wars. Yeah. 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 And I think we know why Corey, uh, his lampshade in the background is what it is now for those that aren't watching live. It's the Imperial cog. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just messing with you. Um, Uh, Eric, what what are your thoughts on that? How did, how did it hit you that argument? Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's a great comparison there, Corey. Uh, it's, it's exactly, I think the way that, people could you know live with themselves and you know charles you asked did do we honestly think imperials thought this and i think this book actually answers that question because sienna very clearly did and i think that you know the way that claudia gray writes the horror and shock of everyone that witnesses it for the for that immediate chapter after i think kind of puts that whole event in in a brand new light which is weird to say you know it's been over 40 years since the movie came out and we can still see it in a different way. But I think that, um, that's the point also where the book really changes 
Because up until then, mm-hmm. it's still like a love story and the two of them and they're at an academy and they're school and it's projects and I'm flying and it's like, you know, we know there's these things in the back of our heads are just are just odd or just odd. And then that chapter ends with Alderaan exploded. And then the whole book is different. And yeah, 100%. I, and I think watching the Imperials deal with it differently. Um, Cheryl in the chat right now uh, just mentioned Nash. And I think that's what I want to talk to. Because I think, Corey, you put that perfectly as far as the atomic bomb comparison. I don't really have anything to add to that. But I do want to talk about Nash's view about it because he shuts down completely, as you would when everyone he knows dies. But then you you can kind of track his brain making all these, um, you know, reasonings. Like, he's reasoning, like, well, everyone I know is dead. If this empire doesn't win now, they all died for nothing. And if uh, the rebels continue to kill people, then that means everyone that I love died, and it doesn't matter. So I will then hate the rebels even more. And it's clearly a psychological break. It's clearly a breakdown of sorts, but he turns it into anger as opposed to sadness. And I think that's a very interesting look at it. Um, that we haven't had before in Star Wars. And the ability to, like, basically take this entire story, tell it in a new way, even though we've seen it for decades, is is masterfully done and really kind of takes away any, I don't know, levity in that scene now when you watch it again. Absolutely. If you haven't if you haven't read the book Nash Windriders you were talking about, he's an Imperial whose home planet was Alderaan. Yeah. It's featured heavily throughout the book. Um you know, the only thing, a question I'd like to add to that for you guys, too, I guess, is, like, did, did you guys find yourself sympathizing with Imperials as much as I did all the way through this book? Because I certainly felt more Imperial sympathy than I think I ever had before. In a yeah. Book. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. More though, more so than I ever have before. I think, yes, I'll agree to that. I still think, on the whole, by, especially by the end of the book, you're like, the majority of them are there because they want to be there and they want to like their, their, their empire for life, especially the higher ups. Sienna's inner monologue is, is beautifully done. And I think that Claudia Gray writes her with enough sympathy that even though by the end of the book, she has not defected. Um, yeah. I still sympathize with her and still love this character and want her and Thane to be together, which is a, a feat of writing for sure. But with characters like, her and like every character at the academy even if we want to go before this event i'm like man i hope they all go i hope they all do well i hope they all get their projects done and you you can't help but feel that compassion for these characters even though you know the the greater you know the greater empire is still evil you know because you're you're watching them witness the death of their friends and the death of their instructors and you know it the the imperial academy probably saved Sienna and Thane's lives. Like, Jelucan is a dead end, so it, it got them out. It gave them skills, so you can see why they would love it. Yeah, it, I think what you're pointing out is that it helps us to sympathize with all of these, like, people who are, quote-unquote, like, lower down in the ranks of the Empire. None of them are responsible for the overall product of the machine that is the Empire, yeah, right. right? They're all more or less using the opportunities of the empire for their own gain, whether that's getting off of a backwater planet, you know, like Thane and Sienna may have done, whether that's getting to, you know, pilot ships, if that's how you want to spend the rest of your life, you know, all those people are just trying to use the opportunities that the empire affords them, but they're not inherently 
evil people. And so right. that's that's my thought, at least. And so my question to you all is, and I, I feel like we may stray down another uh, another political path here, but is the empire inherently bad, or is it really just the people at the top? You know, I was I was actually going to string them off into this like kind of route a little bit. I'm glad you brought this up, Charles. Like, is the empire inherently bad at its core? Yes, I think it's hard to argue that it's not because, if no other reason, then it was built by Darth Sidious, you know, Dark Lord of the Sith, right? Of course, it's evil. It's got a very fascist sort of style of of governments but you know it's very hard to argue that in a lot of ways the empire represents the failings of the republic right Mm -hmm. and that's why the empire was able to be pushed so easily into existence is because a lot of planets viewed the republic as a completely useless failed government when the empire shows up they move in troops and suddenly there's justice and law and order in parts of the galaxy that this didn't exist before like places where like corruption and gang violence and organized crime was a huge issue and the empire just walked in and completely eliminated that yes it replaced it with a different form of evil that it took a lot of people a long time to figure out that that is what was happening but like you know, the, the philosophy at itself, you know, people looked at it, you know, the way that Jellican did at the beginning of the book, right? Like they welcomed the Empire with open arms. Like only certain groups didn't really view the Empire as a good thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you nailed it. Yes, I, I, will, I will go on record as well saying the Empire is bad. Like, it, it, the Empire is evil. <laughs> I know that there's, like, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's fan groups and we have fun. Like, the Empire did nothing wrong and, like, proud of it. Like, there's fan groups of Five First. We can have a lot of fun, but for the 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 universe itself, right? The Empire enslaves people. The Empire kills people. The Empire is a fascist yeah. government. Like, let, yes. So that being said, that that being confirmed, I think you're right, Cord. That this book does do a good job of being like these are the little things the Empire did help, and this is why the propaganda was so effective. So when you get near the end of the book and you have Thane and Sienna reuniting. You understand why Thane is so angry because he's like, I, I literally saw our empire enslaving people and beating people. You have seen them do these horrific things. How in the world can you stay? And then Sienna can turn right back and say, because they killed Jude. Because these rebels are continuing to kill people that I love. And also, like, I'm here. I said I would do my duty. And if no one obeys their their sense of honor and their sense of duty in the universe and there's nothing but chaos so you get the argument she has while still knowing that it's wrong and i think that's what makes this book good too is that i think if you even asked claudia gray she's not going to say well the empire had some good points like she, she is writing it from a point that yes they are absolutely evil right yeah but you can yeah. see why right. people that are afraid of even worse things could look to them for safe for safety and sanctuary sure absolutely yeah, and I thought that actually uh, the character Kendi, when she's talking to Thane, mm-hmm. articulates that point that you're kind of making um, really well. So this was on page 355, and she said, Good people can start to serve the Empire, but if they stay, they stop being good. You do one thing you thought you'd never do, follow one order that makes you feel sick inside, and you tell yourself it's the only time. This is an exception. This isn't the way it's always going to be, but you keep going. You make one more compromise and then another, and by the time you realize what the Empire really is, you're almost too far down that road to turn back. Do you all sympathize with that idea for these people who get involved and they really don't understand what they're getting involved in 
and then feel that they're trapped because they've chosen their path. Certainly. I certainly feel this way. I and mean, I've read a lot of books on, on like, like people that would have identified as a Nazi at the beginning of the war that wouldn't have identified a Nazi by the end of the war. Mm-hmm. Right. And there is certainly a glorious honor, honorable kind of uh, adventure seeking aspect to the military just in general. Um, and like, that's how it's marketed to young people. When you have a huge power that's trying to go conquer another planet or nation or whatever it is. Right. So I certainly sympathize with folks like Thane and Sienna who were sucked in at a very early age. Like you said, Charles, like that, you know, they're on some backwater planet and this was their only escape off of, I can certainly sympathize with that. But Candy makes a really, really good point is that like, once you stay and you, if you know it's, if you can see that it's evil, even if it's just one time, right. If you don't walk away or somehow walk away, you know, it's, it's hard to fall back on the uh, mm-hmm. the I was just following orders argument. Yeah, that. it's the Nuremberg mm-hmm. trials, like literally, and, and it's and it's also it is. Um, it's also a, a point that is being explored in the Alphabet Squadron series now, um, really yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, I know. It, yes, this yes, is it this is. is only a Lost Stars podcast. I don't want to spoil too much of that book if anyone hasn't read it. But if this kind of dialogue and interest, um, or this stuff interests you. There's a lot of stuff in that book about that, about Imperial pilots defecting and like mm-hmm. how they're treated differently mm-hmm. in the rebellion based on how long it was before they defected and things like that. Yeah. Um, much darker too, because she stayed in so much longer than like our characters did here. Abs- so. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I, and I think Kendi really does nail it with that quote there, Charles. That's a great point. Like you can blame ignorance. Sure. Like people need to learn, but if you see, like you literally see it happen, like, that scene with Thane, he's like, okay, I saw it, and I had to go. And that's it. And yeah, by the time absolutely. you get to the end of the book, you, we know Sienna has seen plenty of plenty, and she still d- chooses not to go. And that's why Thane yes. is, is looking at this girl who he's loved since he was seven years old. I mean, mm-hmm. and he's like, how? How? And, and yeah. you get why it's so maddening for him. Which, which, you know, since we're talking about it, quite frankly, I found this to be incredibly frustrating. I'm not sure if you guys did. I mean, I, I yeah. know we're certainly meant to feel this way, mm-hmm. but Sienna is uncomfortably naive with how the Empire actually is. And it's obvious to the reader. It's obvious to Thane. That's why he disagreed with her so vehemently. It's like, it's it's obnoxious. Like, the way that she can just spin these games in her head to justify every single action is is mind-blowing naive to the point that where we find her at the end of the book where she's in prison, right? Like... Mm-hmm. We find her that is justified by for a lot of reasons. We won't say exactly where the book ends, but like it, it, it makes sense. It makes sense that she kind of she is where she's at. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm. because she was a high-ranking imperial officer that, from the rebellion's point of view, stayed in long after the empire had already very well, but on the evil side of things. Yep, and and it's and it's funny because. Uh, once we get to that point, we look at that, and man, isn't that just the epitome of Star Wars? Isn't that Anakin turning to Vader and, yes. and serving for yes. years, and then at the last moment, good point. realizing what happened? Um, Kylo doing all that to the end, becoming Ben again, and realizing how he's been manipulated. Like It's all these stories of redemption, and somehow Claudia Gray took two brand new characters from a different planet— that were told different things and told the quintessential story of Star Wars redemption and propaganda in one novel. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm going to stick up for Sienna a little bit and just say that I think that her culture played a huge part Mm -hmm. in what she did. And it's, and you can't minimize that fact because the cloth that you're cut from has a tremendous impact on, on how you're going to react to things. And on top of that, I do want to kind of make the point that in my view, the empire acts very much the same way that the emperor does. And that, kind of sounds obvious i get that but what i mean is that the empire really doesn't reveal its true face or its true self until you're too intimately involved to escape so it's just like anakin with palpatine where he was lured in um the empire wears a metaphorical hood the same way that that sidious does and it conceals that true evil but eventually it can't hide it anymore and that's when i think you're faced with with this kind of a decision, do I stay or do I go? And I think there are really interesting arguments for both, whether you agree with them or not. I think they're good points. And one point that Sienna made to Thane on page 392 is, don't we have a responsibility to stand our ground and change the empire if we can? So she's speaking towards trying to change the empire from within, almost a Mm -hmm. grassroots type thing. What are your thoughts on that? Is that a good reason to remain with the Empire, or is this just justification for her to not break her vow? It's 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 all in her head justification, is my complaint. Is because we we okay. see we see Sienna throughout the book go along with things because they are the they are quote unquote the way they are. You know what I mean? Like like a good example of this is when she when she knows she's not supposed to use her leave time. Because no officers ever use her leave time, but she goes to visit her mother during this trial or whatever, and she knows that when she comes back, she's gonna have to say to the guy that you know, yes, my mom was found to be guilty. Of course, that was the right decision. The empire is definitely right. You know, she deserves everything she gets coming to her. Like, how the hell can you possibly justify talking about your own family like this and just being okay with the fact that? that this officer is demanding basically this of you and that's okay. Like what the F like, well, and I think that's what, sense. that's what makes the ending so good because like literally the amount of times at the end of the book, she's like, just let me die. Like, wouldn't it be so much easier? Even when, even before the, the last battle, she's in a tie and she's like, if I just crash it, then it's done. Then I don't have to do any, any more of this, but then I won't have to like betray my upbringing and my honor. Like, I, I think the fact that Claudia Gray continuously, like every single chapter that Sienna has, mentions her honor at least twice to really be like, this is mm-hmm. it, this is it, this is it. Like, this is a part of her she cannot rip away to the point at yeah. the end where she's like, I am so ashamed of all this evil going around, but this is who I am. Wouldn't death be easier? Makes it a yeah. tragedy. Sure, certainly. And then Thane's like, nah, yeah. we're going to fight. And then I'll say. <laughs> also. <laughs> Also, you know, this is just—it is a tragedy because we we see Sienna do these mind these these mind gymnastics in order to try to justify her own actions, but we don't see her actually trying that hard to actually change the empire. I mean, she says it, but she, how yeah. do you actually do it, right? I mean, throughout the That's book, we, we see we see her quote unquote just following orders all throughout the book, mm-hmm. like even though she recognizes frequently that they're wrong, and it's frustrating. I found it incredibly frustrating that she is not able to see the obvious black and white. You know, everything is gray, but there are absolutely black and white actions of the Empire, and it's, it's frustrating that she doesn't see those at all. Yeah, and I and, and honestly, I, I think I... 
I, I want to see that honor and that promise, um, that that value, and that like uh, Camilla just wrote in the chat for her honor and promises are everything. And I, and I'd be interested to see the evolution of her. I know we'll talk about this probably in part two next week. Um, I don't want to jump the gun too much, but if we're talking about, do we want a sequel? Do we want another book following this? Uh, absolutely for that reason on my on my end. Like I want to see how she can take. The, the lessons that she does learn by the end of this um, and the frustration mm-hmm. that she undoubtedly feels as well as us to be like, okay, you know, now where do I go from here? Like, I, I think honestly, when the, uh, the leather um, bracelet is destroyed by that droid, I think that mm-hmm. is something that snap for some reason that that little totem, that last little piece of her sister snaps her. And I'd be really interested to see now going forward, is she able to break this conditioning? Because that's really what it is. It's conditioning, she said, since she was a kid. You know, mm-hmm. can she get out of that? Yeah, I uh, I totally agree with what y'all are saying. I, Corey, the point that you brought up there um, really stuck with me. How does she try to change the Empire? And And I don't know that you could really point to a single example in this book where she isn't just following orders. Um, so I think that's really quite interesting. So... The last point that I think we should probably cover here today mm-hmm. is what Thane says to Sienna during the same conversation of the last quote. This is from page 391, and he says, This isn't about whether you've kept faith with the Empire. It's about whether the Empire kept faith with us. <sighs> and that quote hit me oh, so hard, God, y'all, because we so rarely... Good. Yeah, and we rarely ask that question of whether entities are loyal to its subjugates, but it's really true, and it it doesn't just apply to the Empire. It sent me down this spiral of of like questioning. It was that it was the meme with the butterfly, where the guy's like, "What is this thing?" Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how I felt because I was like, "You could make this argument for the Republic. You could make this argument for the Jedi. Are these entities, these organizations, are they?" loyal to its subjugates and i think it's a really interesting question to pose what do you all feel about the empire and all of the other kind of organizations that i mentioned that's like that's like the line that it that it crosses like like when when you can no longer say that this thing that i've been loyal to is no longer loyal to you when the system has completely failed then that's when it doesn't work anymore right like charles this speaks like really well to you and I, because this is how hospital systems are in real life, right? Like hospital systems are these huge corporate conglomerates now, and many people could argue that they've in a lot of ways failed the people they're meant to serve. Whereas you see like physician-owned groups are, are so utterly successful, do amazing things for their patients, and like it's completely separate from this corporate thing. And like it's it's very hard to make the argument that that any system that does not care about the people that make up the system does not put their interests like at heart it's very hard to argue that those organizations are good still mm-hmm. yeah i in, in terms of the book itself in the star wars universe i think that this is most shown uh when you see thane telling the rebellion he's got to leave um because he's like kind of you can tell he's prepping himself to give all these excuses and lies and they just say Oh no, go um just go. Go ahead. Like you'll come back yeah. if you want to and that's and, and yeah. it, it's that amount of trust and that amount of like freedom that is and he, he's so surprised by it. And I think yeah. that's when that's he how you know the right. Yes, yeah. 
And I think he realizes, oh, I'm being trusted because I'm trusting this organization. They're giving me that amount of respect. So, of course, I'll come back. You know, and it's really beautiful that way because as shown with Sienna's um, leaving the Jellu can, like you said earlier, Corey, she is bracing herself for that lie and deception or, or that um, having to admit where she was and all the punishment and stuff. And that's what she gets. Like she gets treated that yeah. way, but it's not a surprise to her because she's been conditioned and brainwashed for so many years that that's what's to be expected. So that by the end sure. of it, she is expecting, you know, the hit, the, the demotion, whereas Thane is now expecting respect. So it, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful reversal of expectations. Yeah. 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 And people, and, people are bringing it up in the, in the chat too. Like, you know, Charles, you brought up the the Jedi Order, right? This is a perfect parallel with Ahsoka, mm-hmm. and, and and like her walking away from the Jedi Order. For more information, check out Bounty Hunt, a Patreon exclusive show by Utini dot com. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we see this exact parallel with Ahsoka because she walks away from the Jedi Order. The difference here is we get to see that she was able to walk away early enough that she could see from the outside why the Jedi Order had failed so miserably. Yep. Yeah. These are all. Really important points. And then, you know, at the same time, we have to think about the real world issues. So uh, Claudia Gray had to make one of these characters have a believable reason to stay with the Empire. And I think pointing towards her upbringing and and her culture was an incredibly successful way to do that. I mean, of of all the ways that I could think of, and I'm not a Star Wars content creator, but um, of all the ways I could think of, this is probably the most compelling thing that that I could have sure. come up with. So no question. I think we'll end it on this incredibly divisive note of whether Sienna sucks or not. <laughs> and, um, and we'll pick things up next week. I'll kick it to Eric to take us. All home. right. Absolutely. Y'all, this is already one of my favorite roundtables we've done. I can't wait for next week. This book is so dense and rich, and we hope that you have enjoyed our first part of talking about it. We're going to be back next week doing the exact same thing. But on that, my friends, that is going to do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you're new, don't forget to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts and tune in every single week to hear us at Utini talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe. If you want to buy this book or any other book by Claudia Gray or Alphabet Squadron for the new Star Wars show book club or anything else, and you want to help support this show, Look up your book on Utini, click the Amazon link on the profile, and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. If you want to help us out a little more directly, you can find us on patreon.com slash Utini or on TeePublic where our shirt designs are now live. If you're an Inquisitor tier or up, head over to Patreon right now to join us for Aftermath, our exclusive after show. If you're already on Patreon, now is the time to upgrade. If you're not yet an Inquisitor, you do have time to make it to that live show where we talk Star Wars and just hang out every week after the live show. A special thank you to Drew Eberondo and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council and Timothy Dunlap and Ross Orlando on our Alliance High Command for their amazing support. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles is at C. Hankel. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor. Freddie, our producer. And Wes, our co-host and community manager. Thanks to Corey, Charles, and Wes for podcasting with me. And as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online 
at utini.com. Until next time, may the force be with you.